Alrighty, Shalom of Racha friends, thank you for joining. This meeting is being recorded. Obviously, there's a feeling of, you know, here we go again. And Be'ez um, Hashem, all the news coming out of Miami should be positive news, and we should only hear Besurus Taivas. And Yeshua's Hashem Karif Ayin, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, could turn things around in a miraculous and amazing way. But it's, uh, it's obviously a difficult time. You know, especially for those of us who have been battered again and again and again, and our community has been through plenty over this protracted period of time, already for a year and a half, maybe more, um, but certainly much more recently, again and again and again. And uh, we have to hold on strong. This is the time that we mamish have to connect to the teachings that are going to hold us up more than ever and remind ourselves more than ever of what this is really about and what life is about and not to allow our anxiety or our fear of the unknown from preventing us from living the life that, uh, that's causing us the fear. And Chas Vashal, not to let that damper, not to let that hamper, rather, it should damper, but not to let that hamper and debilitate us so that we can't go ahead and to try the best that we can to, uh, to continue to connect to the things that we know that are eternal and that reach beyond this lifetime and that reach beyond the lifetime of, of, of any other person that we know of is Hashem, we should all live long and happy till 120. And that all of those who are affected directly or indirectly by what has happened thus far, and obviously we're, we're talking about a tremendous financial loss, and uh, and Hashem, we should only hear Basuras Taivas that it shouldn't be anything more than that. But um, we, sh- we should hold on to each other now more than ever, Mamish, and give ourselves chizik and give ourselves strength and connect to the teachings and connect to the Torah and connect to eternity. Because it's eternity in moments like these when we feel that our this-worldly existence is threatened and where we're made all too aware and reminded once more about the fleeting nature of this-worldliness and how things that we are batuach is Mamish like a diras keva, you know, like the opposite of, of a sukkah, which is a diras aray, but the things that we feel are diras keva, I mean, how more secure can you get, you know, than a, than a, than a tremendously tall, secure building that's been standing for 40 years? How, how more secure can you get at night at 2 o'clock in the morning? And we're reminded once more about how fragile life is. So it behooves us in this moment to all say a tefillah, and obviously this is a tefillah in and of itself, and our learning tonight will be a tefillah today. And our learning should be a schus Hashem for all of those that are affected, directly or indirectly. But more than that, to resolve once more to connecting ourselves consciously in machshava dibor and maisa, with the eternality that we were sent to, the, to this world to connect with, from within the perspective of our fleeting moments of our lives, and we should all live long and happy to hundred and twenty days. Hashem and everyone should be well. We should only hear Basuras Tavis, but to utilize every single moment of this very fragile life to live it to the fullest, to mamish live it to the fullest. So we should only hear good news. And tonight's uh, shir should be a schus refuah shalema for all of those that are in need of refuah shalema, and uh, and mamish hatzalas nefashis. For, for, for those that are in a matzav of, of tremendous sakana at this moment, and we should only hear good news for Am Yisrael. You know, we know that the way that it goes when a woman is about to give birth and there's about to be a new neshama that's born, born into the world and there's about to be a revelation of some new life form, something that didn't exist prior, that brings with it a tremendous amount of joy, 
that revelation and that gilui into the world of something fresh, of something new, we know that that's preceded by what's called birth pangs. And those birth pangs start slow and they start with long periods of time in between and that's exactly how we know when it's getting to the point where you have to go to the hospital because the baby's about to be born is that they measure the time in between these contractions and the, 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 the closer they are together, that means that you know that mamish at at, you know, we're standing at the threshold and that something's gonna happen in this world. You know, and, and uh, I, I think that for all of us who have been paying attention and how could we not, we're living in that. We're living in that where it's one thing after the next thing, after the next thing. And not, not every circumstance that we're even making reference to now has to come with a loss of life, Rahman al-Islam. And again, Hashem, we should only hear good news coming out from, from what's, what's mamish happening in this moment right now in Miami. But these constant reminders and constant being shaken again and again and again and again, just on a very basic level, without even thinking what I have to work on, what, what's Hashem trying to tell us? Just the most basic, simple message beyond all of the minute messages that I think each person has to take for themselves. But beyond all of that is just this reminder about how fragile life is and about how the things that we get caught up on ultimately should be seen in the context of, of, of eternity. And how can I utilize these fleeting moments and mamish bring about something special? But we've been experiencing these birth pains closer and closer together now, more and more frequent over the past few months, over the past even weeks. And so, Be'ez HaShem, we should, we should be zocha to see the ultimate revelation that all of this is part of that process. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the gilu of Mashiach Tzedkenu. Obviously, we're all waiting and we're all hoping. and But our Hevra understand that the coming of Mashiach is more a process than an event. We understand that the coming of Mashiach in and of himself, Ani Reichev Al-Chamar, is the culmination of a process of the Bias HaMashiach that's taking place over a long period of time. And so there have already been throughout our history periods of time where there were protracted and very or, or, or protracted and also very, you know, much in close proximity contraction sort of tragedies, and we didn't see the ultimate birth, the ultimate hisgalas. And we sat through another tishabav and another shivasubatamas, another three weeks, another nine days, another tishabav on the floor, mourning again and again and again. But that doesn't mean to say that there wasn't a gilui, whether we were aware of it, whether we were not aware of it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is bringing this world to Tikkun. Yesh Borei Olam, there's a creator of the world. We believe that we have no ability to fathom the goodness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that appears so often as the opposite to our puny brains and our human minds. But we believe ultimately that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is bringing this world to Tikkun. And we believe that every time that we experience something like this as a nation, something's happening. Something's happening in the world. And it isn't just Kodesh Baruch Hu, Rahman al-Islam, like some might suggest, you know, hitting us over the head and punishing us as Mamash not that. It's Mamash not that. Not at least in the same way that nobody would suggest that the contractions and the process of giving birth are any sort of punishment. It's not a punishment. It's, it's part of this process. This is the way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world. Why does it happen this way? We'll find out after 120. We'll find out in Alam Haba. We'll find out for eternity. We'll be enjoying the Gan Eden of finding out deeper and deeper levels of why this is happening. 
But ultimately, we believe that was manhig this world and bringing it closer and closer to a tikkun. And so there's a tremendous chizuk that comes out even while we're in the throes and in the midst of a tragedy. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to respond to tragedy. May Hashem, this shouldn't be a tragedy any more than the, the, the loss of, of property that we've already witnessed. But ultimately, when we find ourselves in a matziv like this, and Am Yisrael is hurting collectively and, and individually, we have to respond on a human level with the empathy and with mamish no seba ol chaveiro, and to, and, to, and to shed a tear and to say as much Tehillim as we possibly can and to try to be mishtatif in that sour in some form or other. And this year is, is, is itself part and parcel of our contribution to that process. But beyond that, it's also to go at the same time with that staunch awareness that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is making tikkunim in the world. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is bringing us to the end. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is bringing us to the place of the hiskalus, of the birth, of a deeper revelation of Him and bringing us back, and bringing thousands of Jews that are witnessing what is happening, and, and, and understanding that it could have been their building, such a freak thing, and understanding that life is fragile, and who knows how many lives are changed, and who, who knows what kind of tick and what kind of rectification is being brought about in the world. Not that this means that whatever happens that brings about any sort of good that doesn't justify it from our perspective, and a tragedy is a tragedy. And like I mentioned already a number of times, Be'ezer Hashem, we should only hear good news coming out of Miami. But at this moment, it behooves us to really connect to those two aspects that a Jew has to hold in his heart all the time, with tears and with joy, that ultimately we're, we're marching toward the end when we're going to reap these crops. But it has to be in a way of bedima berina, mamish with tears and mamish with the understanding that this is a simon that there's going to be the Hiskalos, Mezar Shem, we should be zeichel to see it with our own physical eyes, the car of Mamish, Bezar Shem. And so this year again is dedicated, Bezar Shem, for a schus refuah to those that need it, and for all those that are hurting. And um, as a desperate plea to the Master of the World that we should hear good news and the schus of Jews getting together, that we haven't forgotten, and that we're trying to be better, and that we're trying to learn the words of the tzaddikim and open our hearts to the remedy that a Kurdish Baruch has given us for our generation's ills. So I'm going to share my screen now, and let's jump into two, what I believe are very relevant teachings from the Degamach and Ephraim, relevant to these, uh, to these times and to this time that we're living in and to what we're going through now. In this week's parasha, parasha's Balak, we don't have to spend time going through the whole story, everybody's familiar with the Balak and Bilam and what's going on back and forth. And their conversation, and Balak want to, wants to hire out Bilam to go ahead and to curse Am Yisrael. He's afraid of Am Yisrael, and Bilam was a tremendous prophet. Like come, Kemoisha Oid be Yisrael like come, but Be'umas Oilam, Bilam, in a certain way, whatever that means, is, is Moisha de Klipa. He has tremendous powers of Tumah, tremendous powers of Ra that are literally equal, you know, in a negative measure to Moshe Rabbeinu, whatever that means how this could possibly be, that a person has such a spiritual power. But Balak requests of Bilam, wants to hire him out. And Bilam keeps on going back and forth to Balak, saying, I'm really under the supervision and under the guidance of the master of the world. And whatever he says that I should say, that's what I'm going to say. Despite my intentions to go ahead and curse, and ultimately that's exactly what happens. And he goes through this you know, somewhat comedic uh, 
episode where each and every time, okay, they try again. Now, this time I'm going to curse them. And they do all their incantations and they build mezbechas and they bring karbanas and they do all sorts of things. And then, okay, the stage is set. Boom. Like more beautiful brachas. Time after time. It's almost, it's almost like funny, you know, if you, if you think about what Balak must have been going through until he finally claps his hand and he just, he can't handle what he's witnessing. Like what is going on here? But ultimately, Bilam produces some of the most wonderful Expressions that you and I say until today, some of the most poetic and evocative expressions and descriptions of what this nation is, of who Am Yisrael is. We're going to see in the second piece, Be'ez Hashem. The most beautiful descriptions of this nation and our greatness come from the mouth of Bilam. But ultimately, in the beginning of that conversation, Bilam says to Balak, and here's the Pasuk, It makes no difference if you pay me all the silver and gold that you have in your house. I'm not going to go ahead and transgress the commandment of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, whether that is to bless Am Yisrael, I'm not going to be able to make them katan. If... To curse Am Yisrael, I'm not going to be able to make them gadol, no matter how much I try to bless them. I cannot transgress the word of God, it's out of my hands, you can hire me out. But I'm warning you, Balak, that ultimately whatever HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants, that's what's going to come to pass. Says the Dagamach Nefraim a very, very deep thing. He says, what's this interesting thing that we find, this seeming extra word of Gidoila in this Pasuk? Because what does Bilam really mean to say to, uh, to Balak? Balak wants him to curse Am Yisrael. He should have said, Balak, even if you're going to pay me, call all the riches of the world, I will not be able to transgress the word of God, Lasis Kitana, to curse Am Yisrael. Lasis Kitana means to make small, to curse Am Yisrael. What's Ay Gidoila? Nobody, nobody asked him to, uh, to, to bless Am Yisrael. That's not on the table here. So what is this that, Balak, that Bilam seems to suggest to Balak that if God doesn't want me to curse, uh, doesn't want me to bless them, I'm not going to be able to bless them. Perfectly fine. Like Balak has no problem with that, right? The whole point is that if Hakadosh Baruch wants me to bless them, I will not be able to curse them, and that's the words of Lasis Kitana. So what's Oigidayla? That's not part of the conversation. Balak has no problem if he's not going to be able to bless Am Yisrael. That's fine. Seems like an extra word. Right? And the Dagamach Ephraim phrases it a different way. He says it's a Kol Shekein. If you're not going to be able to curse Am Yisrael if HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't want it, certainly you're not going to be able to bless Am Yisrael if HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't want it. He says the Dagamach Ephraim. He says maybe it's possible to suggest The Pasuk says that the Tzadik, a righteous person, is Moshel Biyiras Elokim? He reigns sovereign. He has kingship, Moshel, leadership, Biyiras Elokim with the fear of God. Say Chazal, what does this Pasuk mean? What kind of Memshala does a Tzadik have, Biyiras Elokim? Says Chazal, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Goizer, the Tzadik Mevatle. HaKadosh Baruch Hu issues a decree in the world, and the Tzadik is Mevatal, this decree. He says, Arkan, right? And that's the Lashon of Chazal. But Tzarek Lahavin. We have to understand this. What kind of business is this? HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the infinite mind with infinite knowledge, goes ahead 
and makes a decree in the world and the tzaddikim have the hubris from our human experience of our perception of what's good and bad to stand up against the infinite mind or the capital M that is creating this entire world in a way that all of the humans throughout history getting together and putting the best heads together couldn't do this. They couldn't do a, a, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a minuscule fraction of this. And the tzaddik comes to like fight against Hashem and like, oh, okay, I, I hear your svarah, Hashem, but here's my opinion. Like, what, what's going on here? Kodesh Baruch knows what he's doing. To explain this is a very deep idea. In the name of Yudke Vavke, which is the essential name of God, that we can't mention, we can't speak out of our mouths, we have to refer to it with the shame Adni, Aleph Dalad Nun Yud. That's the way that we pronounce it, Ado Shem, right? But really, the name as written is Yudke Vavke. This name is called the shame Havaya partially because we're not able to actually refer to it by mentioning the name itself, so we have to just switch around the letters and call it something else. But the word Havaya is not simply a rearranging of the letters Yudke Vavke, it means something. And the word Havaya means existence. Havaya means existence. It's the shame Havaya. It's the name of existence. And that means to say that this name contains within itself, these four letters contain every single categorical element of our physical and spiritual world. The entire histalshalist, the entire chain of progression from which infinity protracts itself and constricts itself into a long chain of concealments after concealments in different stages, in different elements, in different midos, in different manifestations, in different emanations, until it comes down into the creation of a physical world, it's all encapsulated in these four letters. You can spend the rest of your life learning about these four letters and the sodos amukim that are hinted to in these four letters and in the structure and form of each letter in and of itself and in the expansivity of these letters so that the letter hey becomes hey hey or hey aleph or hey yud, etc. You can spend the rest of your life just learning about the shame havaya in and of itself. It contains everything. And so any time, and we've discussed this many times in the past in different forms, but any time that you'll think about a four-fold category that shows up throughout existence, it's going to be fit into these four letters. So for example, these four major categories of domain, inanimate, Tzomeach, uh, plant life, chai, animals, and medaber, human beings, of course. These contain all different, you know, or, or contain within themselves everything that is to be found in this world. Anything you find will either fit neatly into one of those four essential categories. It's in the Shem Havaya. Eish, Ruach, Mayim, Afar, the four elements that combine to create and to form all of the things found within Domim, Tzomeach, and Medaber the four elements, but much more elementally, even beyond these systems that are found throughout our physical world, we find the chain of, of, of emanation through which the physical world came to be. And this system at a very basic level is known as both the 10 spheros and the four olamos, the four worlds. Without getting into the depth of it now, we don't have time, but on a very, very basic level, the 10 spheros are 10 Midos, ten traits that exist within a Kaddish Baruch who's 
complete oneness, but in order to enable us to come to know HaKadosh Baruch and to know the way that He works, and to be able to perceive what is in that all-inclusive unity, HaKadosh Baruch Hu went through this process of expressing His perfect unity through these 10 traits, through these 10 midos, that manifest as a system of 10 creative steps, one after the other, and the way in which they interact with one another to finally produce the physical world as we know it with the days and the nights and the summers and the winters and the hot and the cold and all the different chilufe, all the different chilufim, all the different contrasting elements that we find are ultimately going to be rooted in these midos as they manifest in terms of them being the blueprint for the physical world. And these 10 spheres very quickly are keser is the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the divine will, the rutzon to create the world that is called keser, which is a crown because it sits above the mind in the sense that sometimes a person wants something and it's not because you thought of something and then you wanted it because you were thinking about it, but because you just get this feeling. It's called a taiva. Nisaviloi. HaKadosh Baruch Hu had a taiva to have a dir betachtonim. Can we understand the taiva? Why we're attracted to something? Why we want something? Why we're interested in a certain subject? Why we like the flavor of vanilla over chocolate? It's not, it's, it's beyond. It's, it's a keser. It hovers above the mental powers of our mind's ability to grasp why it is logically that we feel more passionate about math than we feel about geology, right? Why? Nisaviloi. It's a taiva. It's, it's just a, it's a, it's, it's not mindless, it's, it's, uh, it's super mindful, it's, it's beyond the mind. That's the Keser, God's desire to create the world. Chachma is HaKadosh Baruch Hu's right brain, holistic, big picture, you know, zoomed out portrait of what this system is going to contain in order to bring that rut zone for a world into actuality. Bina is the third Mida. These two Midas, Chachma and Bina, are called the mochin, the the mental powers that manifest within our own brains, which have a right hemisphere and a left hemisphere. And the right brain thinking is much more creative, much more holistic, that's chachma, that's related to seeing. And then bina, which we're going to be speaking about, is Hashem, in a minute. Bina is associated with the details. To take that holistic big picture plan and blueprint for the world in terms of everything that is going to exist and what history is going to contain and every event that's going to take place, Beklalius and Bepratius, universally uh, and, and within each and every one of our lives, all of that is brought into the bina, into the particularities, into the details. This is associated with hearing as opposed to seeing. This is connected to bina. To listen, to listen very deeply and very carefully, to be discerning, to cut a big, big, big picture into small micro processes, into details, into small steps of a progression of a creative process. That's Bina. Then we come down to the emotional midos, which are chesed, loving kindness, unfettered, uncontained a flow, a powerful flow of hashpa, of a desire to give. Gvura is the opposite. That's associated with the right and left hand, respectively. Chesed is the right hand. Gvura is the left hand. Tiferes is the blend between both of those things that produces rachamim. And we can't get into every detail now. We're running out of time already, and this is just the hakdam of the first piece. We have a lot to get to. And I hope that our faces behind these squares always makes it easier for me if the cameras are on. No pressure. So... So, so this is the Indian of Chesed, Gvura, and Tiferes. Then we have Netzach and Hod that are themselves associated with the right leg and the left leg. And then Yesod is the bris which takes all of these powers and channels them down to Yesod. And then finally, Malchus. Malchus is that 
interface which takes all of these emotional traits, takes all of these higher spiritual powers and translates them in such a way that it comes through the matrix, it comes through the framework, it comes through the code of the computer program and it becomes the images that we see in terms of this worldliness with all of what this world contains. These are the ten spheros. Keser, Chachma, Bina, Chesed, Gevura, Tiferes, Netzachod, Yisod, and Malchus. These are the ten spheros. These ten, being an elemental system of creation, must necessarily fit in to the Shem Havaya, to the name of existence. Well, how are you going to do that? The Shem Havaya has four letters. Ten doesn't fit into four. How do you manage that? And so it's very simple. The Yud of Yud Kevavke with its coats, with its little crown that the sofa starts to write the letter from the tip, from the top of the letter, that's Keser. That's the crown. It's the crown of the letter Yud. That's the Keser. That's the beginning of the shame that hints to the Ratzon, the Taiva that Kaddish Baruch Hu had to dwell within this world and that we're striving valiantly to transform this world into a place where his godliness can be perceived. The, fir, the Yud itself is Chachma. Yud is always the sphere of Chachma. The first hay is Bina, is the particularity, is to take what's, what exists in the dot of the Yud, where it's holistic, where it contains everything, where there are no parts and there's no form, and it breaks it into hay. Over here we see the beginning of particularities, the top of the hay, the bottom of the hay. We see already how one unified miksha achas, which is the letter U that has no parts, becomes split into particularities. Chazal already tell us, two is the easiest way once you transform a word from singular into plural, it can contain a million. That's Bina. It's two parts, but it's infinite parts. That's Bina, the particularities of what is existing in that holistic right brain thinking of Chachma. The Vav of Yudke Vavke contains the six emotional spheros from Chesed down to Yisod. And then the last He is Malchus. The last He is Malchus. Now just on the surface of it, it should be clear to us that if there are four letters in Yudke Vavke, in this Shem Havaya, into the name of existence, and two of the letters are identical, reason to, to believe and to assume that these two letters have a relationship one with the other. Because they're literally the identical letter, and they're divided only by the letter Vav, that we understand to be a connector. Anytime you have the letter Vav in between two things, it's a connector, just like we have the Pasuk, Moshe ve'aron. What does that Vav do? It says and, it connects, it combines. That means to say that essentially there's the Yud of Yud Kevavke, then there's the He, there's the Vav that connects, and then there's a He. So that means that creation is really taking place in the space between the two He's that are connected through this channel of the letter Vav, He ve'He. That's essentially all of existence, drawing on that big picture that contains everything, hey, vav, hey. These two hey's have a relationship. Now we can go back inside based on that very brief but very fun- fundamental hakdam. In order to understand this, we find two letter hey's. What do they relate to? The first hey is bina, the last hey is malchus. Hey, rishon enikra the first hay is called Gedoyla. It's called the big hay. Vihi alma de And this is the world of freedom. What does that mean? It's the world of freedom. This hay that alludes to the sphere of Bina 
is the eighth midah from the bottom. If you start from Malchus and there are 10, and you count your way up, so you start from Malchus, that's the 10th, that's the lowest. That's relating to the last hey of Yudke Vavke. And you start counting upwards. You have Malchus, you have Hod, Netzach, Tiferes, Gvura, Chesed, you have seven. Above Chesed, in terms of their numbers, is Bina. What do we know about seven? Seven is this world. There are seven days of the week. There are seven colors of the rainbow. There are seven uh, uh, notes in the musical scale. There are seven planets. There are seven continents. There are seven oceans. There are seven metals. V'chule, v'chule, v'chule. Everything fits into the system of seven. We call it, in, in my books, the sevenness of nature. This is, the whole nature is seven. And what do we know about nature? It's extremely constricted. There's a very, very strong limit with regard to where the world begins, where the world ends, right? When night falls and when dawn breaks and when the winter comes in, when the summer comes in, this is limited, right? The whole nature is very limited. Nature is seven. That means that one above nature is mamash da'olamacherus. That's where the spiritual world begins, where it's above time and space, where it's mamish above the constrictions of the sevenness of this worldliness, that there are seven days and not eight days, and then it just starts again. We're trapped within the limitations of how this worldliness is set up. The one above, which is Bina, Bina is this Mida, that's one above the seven, is going to be the world of Cheiros. Seven times seven, 49. What's one above 49? 50. 50 is Yovel. The 50th year is Yovel. After seven Shemitah cycles is a Yovel. What happens on Yovel? Everything goes free. All the lands revert back to their initial holders. Everything reverts back to its initial, to its first place. Yovel is freedom. The shofar is blown on Yovel. The blowing of the shofar is associated with things going back to their place. Things going from a constricted place, that's the beginning of the way in which we blow the shofar from the narrow side, going into the very wide side. The shofar is a physical manifestation of the Pasuk, Min HaMeitzar Karasika Anani Bamerchavka. And that's what it means why we're blowing the shofar on Yovel, because Yovel takes us from the sevenness of the 49, seven times seven, mamish, the, the pinnacle of limit, and it brings us into that place of Anani Bamerchavka. We go into this place of freedom. Shabbos Kodesh is me'ain olam haba. It's a little bit of a taste, and we're going to talk about that. It's a little bit of a taste of what that olam haba is, of what that bina is, of what that world to come, of what that inion of freedom is. And what do Chazal tell us about Shabbos Kodesh? Not anybody who keeps Shabbos is zoche to what? To a nachla, to a portion, belimitzarim, without any borders, because that's what this nikuda is of Yovel and of Chairus and of this experience of being beyond time and space, not limited. That's the aspect of the first Tev Yud Kevavke, that's the world of Bina that the Dagamachan that the Ephraim tells us is the Olam of Cheiris, the world of freedom. Olam Hamachshava, that takes us into the world of thought. Thought is not limited. I can only travel with my physical body a certain amount of space, depending on the vehicle that I have, depending on how much time I have to travel. With my mind, I can go a thousand miles in every direction in a split second. I can imagine things that don't exist. The mind is infinite. The mind is mamish infinite. An endless font of creativity beyond what my own capacities are to actually bring into the world. And I can tell you this literally, how many plans I have for LPI and how much needs to be done and how many books need to be written and how many things. But 
physically I can only do a limited amount, right? And we can only do a limited amount. But in our minds, we could we could change the whole world. In our minds, we could mamish envision limitlessly. That's the olam of the machshav, the olam of cheiros. Visham dinim misar. And we have to know something very deep about bina. And there's no pressure to learn both pieces. Beis Hashem will be learning next year in Yerushalayim here around my table. Here are preferably about the third base hamikdash. So we'll learn the second piece then, or even now, even even. We can catch up on Tishabav on the on the uh, in the Chatzar of the third base Hamikdash, but over here we find ourselves learning just this piece, and we're going to try to focus and do this piece right because I see it's already taking a pretty long period of time, and it's important to do it right because it's very very deep and foundational. Says the Dagamachne Ephraim, Visham Dinim Misarim. This is a lashon of the Zara Kadosh that tells us that all judgments, all harsh decrees, begin where they begin in Bina. Because if you think about it, in the sense of this creative process, there is no limitation until Bina comes to the fore. Keser is just ruts on its will. We call Keser Ayin. It's like nothingness. We know nothing about it. Why does the Kaddish Baruch Hu do what he does? Why are there tragedies in the world? Why do things happen? That's all in Hashem's Keser. It's Lamal Mitam Vedas. That's why the Pasuk says, the, the Mishnah says rather, Siag Lechachma Shtika. Which literally means the fence of Chachma, in order to contain our wisdom, Shtika, sometimes it's better to be silent. Sometimes it's better not to say. Sometimes it's better to listen than to speak. That's what it means on a simple level. But Alpi Kabbalah, Alpi Chasidus, Alpi Pneumius, what it means is, is if Chachma is the second sphera, and Chachma emerges from the place of Keser, because Chachma is the first beginning of a beginning to carry out that which HaKadosh Baruch Hu desired and it's that holistic big picture thinking the blueprint before we actually start to put these things into practice through the Midos but it begins in the mind then the Siyag L'Chachma what's going to be the Siyag what's going to be the enclosure of Chachma Shtika that place of Keser which is the Siyag which encircles which is the crown of Chachma silence we know nothing about why HaKadosh Baruch Hu does what he does. When faced with tragedy, Aaron HaKoyin is silent. Vayidom Aaron. Aaron HaKoyin is silent. When Moshe Rabbeinu was complaining about this incredibly tragic vision of Rabbi Akiva's skin being scraped off in a way that he can't handle it. And he says, Zutar v'zuschaira HaKadosh Baruch Hu enters him shtoik. Silence. Kach alubimachshava. Silence. This is the way that a Jew responds to tragedy. Silence. Because this is coming from the place of Keser that we have, we have no Hasaga in. Silence. Not even to give reasons or to try to give explanations or gematria or none of this. Silence. This is the place of Keser we know nothing about. Chachma that emerges from Keser is still not din because it's completely holistic. It contains everything. It still shares in that element of mamish oneness in, in certain systems. There are makas marich to explain exactly how in the beginning of Paradis Yermonim. But in certain systems, Keser is left out and the whole process begins with Chachma. Reish is Chachma, Yeres Hashem. But Reish is Chachma. Oftentimes Chachma is seen as being the first sphera, and then we count Das. Right? As the 10th sphere, so that there shall be 10 and not 9, 10 and not 11, like the Sefer Yetzirah warns us. But ultimately, Chachma is still big picture. It's the Yud that's just one holistic, contained p- drop of ink. Right? And that's the. Yes? 
but she's calling to somebody else that's named Yaakov, not the only Yaakov in the world. <laughs> so this Nakuda of, of, um, of the Yud is still not Din because it's an element of what? It's an element of holistic thinking, analytic planning. Where do Dinim come from? Dinim begin in Bina. Because what's Bina? Bina is the details. Bina is the particularities. Even though, again, in Bina, there's nothing din about it. It's for the purpose of revealing HaKadosh Baruch Hu's godliness in the world about which the Pasuk says, Olam chesed yibane. Yibane is connected to the word Bina. contains the same letters. Olam chesed yibane. HaKadosh Baruch Hu's mom is creating the world for what? Just to reveal his goodness, his kindness. Kol mada avid rachmana letav avid. So it's not din in the sense of gvura. We're going to speak about gvura in a minute. But the potential for there to be something other than our experience overtly of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's expressed goodness, the beginning of the potential for there to be something else, that starts in Bina. That starts in that first place of something that's little bit of a separation. The possibility of constriction, of limit. Even though ultimately, again, in Bina, it's only for the purpose of bringing out that holistic brainstorm in the best possible way. But ultimately, any din that's going to manifest later on in the system, in the form of Gevur, in the form of Hod, in the form of Malchus, certainly we're going to speak about, the way in which it appears in our world, which is the place of the Klipos, an incredible Hester, Panim, incredible concealment of God. Philosophically, and theologically, it must begin in that place of Bina. That's where Dinim misarin. That's where Dinim arise from. In the potential for there to be something other. In the potential for limit. In the potential for lack. That begins in the, play, in the, in the world of Bina. In the realm of Bina. Lachain. Therefore, says the Helge, This is such a prevalent, timely thing for what we're going through now. Lachain, therefore, nimtakim b'sharsham. Any dinim, any judgments that we perceive in our lives that we experience in the world need to be sweetened where? At their source. This is a cloud from the Zara Kaddish. Where are dinim sweetened? How does a person sweeten judgment? Ein hadinim nimtakim. Nimtakim says the Zara Kaddish. I'm reading outside. The Zara Kaddish says dinim judgments are only sweetened where? Ela Rasha. Only at their source. What's their source? Bina. That means to say that all judgments that we experience in this world may be sweetened if we bring it back to that place of Bina, to the root of it, where we then understand that just like in the, in the realm of Bina, any limit and any particularity and any disparity and any multiplicity is for the purpose of what Olam Chesed, Yibana Oisiyah's Bina, is only to reveal HaKadosh Baruch Hu and not to conceal Him, is only for the purpose of Ki Gavar Aleinu Chazdai, that His Chesed sometimes appears to us in the form of Gvura. And we understand that HaKadosh Baruch Hu needed to necessarily have this stage in the creative process where there was an aspect of limit, where there was a perception that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was, so to speak, concealing that holistic, big picture, beautiful oneness where we realize that a Kaddish Baruch was Echad, Yachad, Yuchad, and we perceive there to be the very earliest root of a perception of other, a perception of multiplicity of our secondary existence, Chas v'shalom, that ultimately leads to this world that may be perceived as a separate existence from Hashem for the purpose of Bechira. If we can bring it back to that place of Bina, then we can sweeten on some level the judgments. 
then on some level we could tap into emuna, so that even when we're drowning in this ocean of despair, we're still able to hold onto a raft of meaning and of bitachon and of emunah and understanding that there is a purpose to this. Does it mean that it doesn't hurt? No. Does it mean that we don't cry bitter tears for another Jew's suffering and, for, and over our own perceived pain? There are hilchas avelis on the Torah for a reason. And we don't make the same bracha on good things as we do on bad things. Even though both refer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence in that. But there's a difference. Not the same bracha. Baruch Ta'ina Emes and Baruch HaToyva Ametiv. La'asid lavay, bayema hu yashem echad, hu shmoy echad, and we are lavana, ka'ar hachama, and everything's going to be mamish beautiful. Then we're going to make HaToyva Ametiv and everything. But in our experience, we're human beings. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to be human beings and to react with human feelings to tragedy. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't want us to drown in tragedy. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't want us to fall into a place of walking away from it all, of giving into the seductive illusion that this world is a place of meaningless absurdity. And the only way to do that is to hold on tight to this raft that we find floating nearby, ever floating nearby, in every circumstance, nationally, personally, no matter what we're going through, 2,000 years of exile, we've been through it all. And we're coming home. And there are contractions, and the world is in labor. And Be'ezer Hashem, like I said in the beginning, you and I are going to witness Be'ezer Hashem b'shuvi l'Yerushalayim as we come back to Yerushalayim habenuya, ki yer lo yachtav. To come back to that place of yachtav, to come back to that place of echad, of the yud, of chachma. But ultimately, until then, there are rafts, and that raft is called shtika. Like that raft is called Siag Lachachmashtik of Ayidam Arin. To understand that everything that happens in this world emerges from a place of taiva, of ratzon, that this is how Kaddish Baruch Hu wanted it. And if there's one thing we know about Kaddish Baruch Hu, it's that he's tov. Teva hatov There's no other ex- explanation for why Kaddish Baruch Hu would have created the world if not to go ahead and to give us goodness. Ein hadinim nimtakim elabisharasha. All judgments can be sweetened on some level when we bring them back to their root in Bina and understanding what Bina is and what the limit of Bina is and for what creative purpose Bina is, in, is, is uh, put into practice into the world and into the creative process for Olam Chesed Ibana. L'cheinim takim rasha. But that's the first Tevyut Kevavke. That's the world of Bina, Alma de Cherusa, above the sixth and the final seventh element, right? Of the Vav and the He of Yud Ke, Vav Ke, those seven elements, six, Vav is Gematria, six, and then finally the letter He is one more, so that's seven. Bina exists beyond that. That's the Alma de Cherusa. It's called the Alma de Skasia. It's called the hidden world. It's associated with Leah as opposed to Rachel. A hidden world. But then the Heyachroina, the final Hey, he nikres kitana. That's called the smaller Hey. 
Because if you think about it again in the, le- in the level of a funnel, and this is how the Piyasetsa Rebbe explains, at least with regard to these elemental manifestations within our own souls. So we have nefesh, ruach, neshama, chai, yechida, and these are also connecting to the four worlds, the five worlds, without getting into the depth of it now. But it goes like a funnel. And so if the world of keser and the world of the letter yud in keser chachma is the widest ring, is the top part of the funnel where everything's expansive and a Kaddish Baruch whose godliness can be readily perceived and that's the, that's the widest part. Mamela, every letter you go down, it's getting more and more and more constricted, smaller and smaller, limited and more limited, more concealed and more concealed until we come to the place of the final hay. So the first hay is called Gedoyla, hay Gedoyla, even though they're the same size. But theologically, what it represents, Kabbalistically, the first hay is hay Gedoyla, the final hay is, is the hay Ketan. It's the, it's the realm of Malchus, it's the world of limit. Another Kabbalistic way of referring to these four elements is that the letter Yud is called Abba, it's called the Father. The first He of Yud Kevavke is called Ima, it's called the Mother. The Vav of Yud Kevavke is called Zeir Ampin, which means small face. It's the sun, so to speak, in this familial structure. And then finally, the last letter He is called the Nukve, the Zeir Ampen. It's called the female counterpart. It's called the Bas Melech, the Bas Malka. It's called the princess. It's called the daughter. That means to say that the first hay is the mother, and this is the way in which it plays out in our family structures in a healthy circumstance, where there's a father and a mother and children so that the mother is able to nurture much in the same way like Bina nurtures Malchus in the sense that all of which is going to be revealed in the emotions and ultimately come to fore and come to manifestation in this limited world of Malchus ultimately is drawing from Bina. Bina is the source of it all. That's where everything comes from. All the details explicated in Bina are those that are going to then come to Revelation of Malchus. So the same way a mother and a daughter you see sitting around the kitchen table and the mother's giving advice and nurturing the daughter, it's mamish the same thing. It's a dogma de la'ela. B'tselem elokim asesa adam. Mi besari eloka. That's why the world is set up in the way that it is, because these are all manifestations of these spiritual elements as they exist in the way in which HaKadosh Baruch Hu initially created and recreates the world each and every moment. Abba, Ima, Zer, Ampin, small face, and Nukva, and Bas. So that means again that the first He is the mother, and the final He is the daughter. Bina and Malchus, the first He and the last He. The first he being Gidoila, being the mother, and the final he being Kitana. Vuhu Malchus, says the Dagamach Nefraim, it's called Malchus. Visham hu eskalis hadinim. And over there is the actual revelation of Din that began with the possibility of Din in Bina, but at that point it's Nachlabli Mitzaram, it's Olam Haba, it's Asid Lava, it's the deepest Havana. Bina, Havana, understanding of why HaKadosh Baruch Hu does what he does. Na'am, the Eskasi of the world that's hidden from us. But ultimately, Malchus is the place where that gets revealed. And sometimes it comes to revelation in, in, in the most unimaginable and, un, and unfathomable and uncomprehensible ways. The Hepech of Bina, where it's impossible for us to understand. 
what we go through in this world and what people suffer through and what people experience in this world. We can't perceive it. We can't understand it. That comes to expression as actual din in Malchus. Malchus is called based in Shalmata. It's the, it's the Mamash, the based in. It's the place where din comes from because Malchus is associated with the peh, with the mouth of the human being. Bina is associated with the heart. Malchus is associated with the mouth. Bina is, like the Pasik says, Uba halev maven. Halev maven. The heart understands intuitively. The mother has a deep intuition, particularly with regard to her children. Bina liba. Bina is the heart. Malchus is the peh. Malchus is the mouth. Why is that? Because if Malchus is this physical world, how is this world created? With speech. Vayomer elokim. Vayomer elokim. Yihi ar. Vayomer elokim. Yihi rakia. Vayomer elokim. Ten ma'amaros. Ten utterances. The inner dimension of the world is given in the form of asara, or aseres, hadibros. Again, words, speech. Once we understand what the world is in terms of limit, we can understand why the world needed to be spoken into existence because speech is similar, similarly limited. A person's machshava, like we said, is infinite. But it takes much longer to speak out an idea than to think it. I have in my mind, and I had before this year, this entire hasaga that took us now 40 minutes in one thought but it takes a very long period of time to speak it all out and to get the details out in such an ordered way so that we can all understand it. And it's gadol, hasaga, to learn it as we're learning it for the first time, many of us, right? Dibor is constricted. You can only say so many words. Dibor, speech, is bound by time. It takes a long period of time to say words, to read words off of a page. It's limited. It's under the nature of time and space. It takes up space physically. The words that we say and the words that we write. Dibor takes the voice, the call that is unlimited and it brings it out into limited measures of specific words that once uttered can no longer become transformed to any other word. But that same measure of voice on the level of ah could be a thousand words. Once you use that voice and you speak a word using the using the five different categories of the verbal expressions of the mouth that are of course associated with the last hey of Yudke Vavke. That's why it's a hey, because it's five. The five mozaos, the five different elements of how we can pronounce words. Once we do that, it's limited. Malchus is the pe, bina is the lave. This is why when we blow the shofar on Yovel, when we blow the shofar of Rosh Hashanah, we're connecting to the place of Yovel, which is Bina, which is above the 49, which is 7 times 7, which is limit. And we're connecting to the place of limitlessness. From the aspect of the narrow part of the shofar, we're moving into this infinite, expansive space. What's the shofar? Kol beloy dibur. It's a way of expressing voice, but there's no words. And that's the deepest prayer of, of, of Rosh Hashanah because it's connecting and it's bringing us to the place of kol, belaydibur, to the place of lev, uri yishenem to wake up from the illusion that our heart is sleeping, it's the ani of libi'er. But ultimately, it's, we're trying to awaken the heart 
Hayataka shoifer be'ir ba'amli yecharadu. Yira is belave. Yira is belave. Bina is the lave. Malchus is the peh. Malchus is the mouth. That's why we find so many psukim in many, many, many different places that are referring to the connection between speech and the feeling of the heart. That the Navi Yishayahu comes to chastise the Jewish nation and he tells them, Bisvasav Kibduni. He speaks the words of God that HaKadosh Baruch Hu charges Am Yisrael with paying lip service. That's what comes from this Pasuk. Bisvasav Kibduni. They have honored me with their lips. But Valibam Rechak But their hearts were very far from me. They were davening, they were saying the right words, they were doing the right things. Malchus. But the Bina, the expansivity of understanding what this is all about, of connecting to the essence of what we're doing, of connecting to the core, Rechak that was lost. That's the bina, that's the infinite premise that comes to manifestation in the words that we say. We find this all, all, all over the place, the connection between lev and peh, bina and malchus. So this is in the realm of malchus where we actually perceive din as din. And over there the din comes to, re- to manifestation, mi peh. Because it's expressing itself in the aspect of pe, of speech, malchus pe, as it manifests as din. K'mavur v'tikunim, malchus pe. V'hu adibur hamegala hamachshava. And that's the relationship between bina and malchus, the mother and the daughter. What's above the vav, above the rakia, and what's below the rakia. That speech reveals what exists in the mind, what exists in the thoughts of the heart, machshavas libam. So that Malchus is the external manifestation of what exists first in Bina. But when it comes to external manifestation in the form of our world, it brings with it a whole lot of limited din. brings with it a whole lot of, of pain oftentimes as it actually plays out in our experience. But when we go ahead and we take all the dinim that we perceive and that we experience in this world and we should only hear good news and we bring it back to the place of Rasha. then, like we mentioned before, we are able to sweeten the judgments at their source by perceiving the source from which all the judgments arise. By looking at the dinim of Malchus and at the speech and at that broken stuttering that's coming out of this broken world. And we're able to listen deeply beyond that and perceive the whole thoughts that these words are trying valiantly to express. Sometimes by expressing full, beautiful words and sometimes by just producing the most terrible, inhuman, weird sounds that come out of this mouth of existence that we can't perceive as making any sense. So listen deeper. What's the purpose of these strange sounds? What's the meaning of this language that we can't understand? Perceive the meaning beyond these stutters. Perceive the heart that contains within it full feelings, full thoughts that come to expression oftentimes not despite the brokenness of the diburim, but specifically because of them. There's going to be no way to sweeten, to learn from, to take stock of, to utilize the opportunity in any challenge if we're not going to ascribe to it the meaning by finding its root in Bina, its root in the place of Olam Chesed Yibane, of Kigavar Aleinu Chazd. 
And that when we, when we can adopt this mentality and we can utilize our minds and what we know deeply, intuitively in our hearts, the binas halev, to enable us to respond to difficulty in our lives, to respond to difficulty in the world at large, to respond to brokenness, then a little bit we're able to sweeten it. A little bit we're able to banish the darkness in some measure. Again, this doesn't negate our human feelings and the way that we perceive tragedy and, and, and suffering. But it keeps the game alive. It gives us that life to, you know, raft and that, and that vest to, to wear so that we'll, we're still in an ocean of, of suffering. But batsar hirchavtali. In the narrowness, in the constriction of a malchus, of a malchus peh of dinim, we can find a little bit of harchava. If we can't get out, if we can't get out, we can perceive, like Rabbi Nachman Abreslov taught us how to perceive the wideness that's behind the curtain of the narrowness, of the constriction. Bitsar, while we're still in the pain, hirchavtali. We can begin to sweeten these judgments that manifest in Malchus by perceiving their shoresh, their source in the realm of Bina. To find the mother that stands behind the daughter, nurturing the daughter. To find the hey gedola as it stands ever complete behind the broken, crumbling hey katana of this world that was created with the letter hey. When a person brings that back to the Olam HaMachshava, everything is sweetened. Like we spoke about now for a very long period of time, and we're coming to an end now. Like we spoke about, this is the aspect of Bina, everything is sweetened. It's not that a Kaddish Baruch makes a Gezeira, and that the Tzadik is mevatel, it is if he had a better idea, as if he's arguing with Hashem, as if he thinks that there's a better way of doing things. This is how a Kaddish Baruch who created the world, he wants to create the world, yesh ayin to take the nothingness, the everythingness of Keser Elyon, of Chachma Ilah, and to allow that to come into a world of yesh that we perceive it as being something for the purpose of what? Like the Noam and the Melech tells us, for us to recreate the world, ayin miyesh. To look beyond the facade of the physical world and the circumstances that we perceive and that we read on the news, and to hear the ayin behind that, to turn it back into ayin. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a partnership with us. This is how he wants it. The tzaddik really knows how to make tikkunim and how to access spiritually the world of Bina. We can do this on our own little level. But the tzaddik mamish does this on a very lofty level. And he's able to sweeten those matters at the root like we described. And therefore, that's why Tzadik Gozer, I'm sorry, Tzadik, yes, Tzadik Gozer, HaKadosh Baruch Hu that's the flip side of this in a positive sense, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Gozer and the Tzadik is Mavatal. Tzadik Moishel B'yiris Alikim. V'zehu, and this is what Bila meant, Ketana U'gedayla. This is what he was referring to when he said Ketana U'gedayla, the small hay and the big hay, Malchus and Bina. And what the, what the Russia was saying, what Bilam was saying, we'll go back to the Pasuk and then we'll read it inside and then we'll finish. 
I cannot go ahead and affect any change in the Kitana, in the Hei Tachtoina, in Malchus Peh, by tapping into the Elyoina, by tapping into the Gedoyla, by tapping into the Binas Halev, by tapping into the Hei Ilah. I cannot do what the Tzaddik Moish Rabbeinu, who is the Hepich of me, can do. I, Loi Ucha Labras Pia Hashem, to be Mevatel Gzairus. Says the Hei Legedega Machan Ephraim, with this we finish, Umi Moitzi Davar Atalamid Bebechinas I'm sorry. The Russia was saying the contrast, what he is unable to do. From the Russia's words, you can understand what the tzaddik and what you and I are able to do. Right? This is about how many lines, and it took us an hour. And this is just the beginning of the beginning of the beginning. He packs in a tremendous amount into this piece. This is a very foundational piece and I think that this was a very foundational session of our learning together and I, I appreciate all of you for joining and thank you again and again and again a million times over for being my companions on this often lonely lonely road on the Shvil Manat Sad on this narrow bridge Tzmamish you know means the world to me that we know that there are chevra in the world who get it and that, our, that we're all walking arm in arm trying to grow close to Hashem through the words of the Tzadikim chevra we should be zocha to only hear good news as we head into a three weeks it should be transformed. This should be the final, 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 last spate and the final, last Indian of these contractions that Mashiach and the spirit of Mashiach will continue to be born into the world that we should only hear Basura's Taivas. But if we should have to go through things in life, whether it's personally, whether it's communally, we should be able to hold on to this wisdom, to be able to bring everything back to its shayrish, to be able to understand that there's a mother behind the daughter that doesn't look so beautiful all the time, but to be able to tap into that heila, into that lave, beyond the brokenness and the stuttering and the half words of this, of this worldliness that we experience, to be able to give ourselves a little bit of meaning, a little bit of hope to hold on to. There's a, there's a purpose for all of this. Siag l'chach mashtika. Kaddish Baruch knows what he's doing and he's bringing the world to its final tikkun and you and I are a part of it. Ezeschut. So thank you so much for joining with me. What a privilege to learn this piece and, uh, and I'm holding you to it. We have to get to the next, the next piece. Bezer Shem. Uh, next year or in the coming days but there's a whole lot that we're going to learn with each other in the coming, uh, in the coming weeks, in the coming years. Bezer Hashem, here in Yerushalayim in person, preferably. Okay, so wishing you the most beautiful Shabbos. Let's keep on davening. Let's keep on having our brothers and sisters in mind. Let's keep on, uh, on, on, on thinking good so that Bezer Hashem, trachun of zayin good, and, uh, and not losing focus and not losing hope, adra, but gaining hope. As the process gets more and more difficult, we're coming to the end, Chavra. Or Mamish coming to the end. We have to, ver- we have to Mamish hold. Hold on tight. Okay, wishing you the most beautiful Shabbos. Thank you so much for learning with me. And... Um, and thank you so much. I'm just going to look at the chat. Oh, yeah, she was calling her son. <laughs> okay, good name choice. Um, Ashrenu. Thank you so much for joining, Chavri. Thank you so, so much. All the best. Good Shabbos, good Shabbos.